1: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Birmingham Karanka to my Borough Karanka. It's Justin Peach.
0: Hello Ryan.
1: Hello Justin, how are you?
0: I'm very good. These, these mornings are getting easier to, to record mm. these, mainly because the football's been a bit more interesting this week. It's
1: always a good taste. It's been a very interesting week, hasn't oh, yeah. it? In fact, oh, yeah. I'd call it a roller coaster week, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. You are, of course, listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the matches from midweek in the championship. But of course, Justin, we've got to start off with the big news from the week, because it's all change at Birmingham City Ita Karanka has been replaced as head coach by Lee Bowyer. Bowyer, of course, an ex-Blue Nose. Uh, we're starting off by saying it's very odd how the change has been dealt with by the club, of course. We said in Sunday's episode that there were strong reports Karanka had been relieved of his duties. And apparently Bowyer led training with the team on Monday. However, the news wasn't announced until Tuesday night. All oh, very odd. Um, but your initial thoughts on... First off, Karanka being sacked, Justin. I know we spoke about it on Sunday, but now it's been confirmed. What's your reaction?
0: Well, it was inevitable, really. The Birmingham City have been awful this season. Probably one of the worst seasons. Perhaps that season under Lee Clark was, was bad, but I think this just tops it, mainly because of the difference in the squads. A lot of money has been put into this team. and Well, previously a lot of money has been put into this team, and you can't tell that. They've got the worst home record in the division. Their the game against uh, Reading last night was their, only their fourth home win of the season. I just can't imagine how bad it would have been if fans were in the ground. Perhaps it wouldn't have been. Uh, uh, perhaps Birmingham City wouldn't have been as bad this season had had fans have been in the ground. But you know these are the, these are the cards we have been dealt, and Birmingham City haven't handled it at all. Um, they're, they've not been a very good side, and obviously Carranca's football. I mean, just looking at last night, they went straight to a two up front. That that immediately gets the best out of a couple of players in this team. Karanka never, never felt like it was going to get near that under Karanka.
1: No, he seemed quite a stubborn manager, didn't he? Well, he's been yeah. a stubborn manager throughout his whole career, really, hasn't he? Um, but what you were saying about fans being in the ground, I think you're absolutely right. I think it could have been quite a toxic atmosphere oh, yeah. at St Andrews many a time this season if Karanka was still there. And I saw quite a few Birmingham fans saying Karanka is the worst manager they've had in recent memory. And they've had quite a few contenders for mm. that title, haven't they? Yeah. Um, I, when someone said that to me initially, I was thinking, Zola, really? Um, <laughs> but I suppose, considering how things are, Karanka is got to be in the conversation. I hate how the club statement said he stepped down. He's been sacked. Stop talking in riddles. I hate it when clubs do that. But the most interesting thing that's come out of this whole debacle, Justin, is according to the Daily Mirror, Aito Karanka and the Birmingham players had a meal on Sunday for the club CEO, Dong Ren. Beforehand, Karanka was pulled aside and was told he was sacked. He then had to sit through the whole meal, knowing that he was no longer Birmingham's manager. But I think, looking on the football side of things, it had to happen, didn't there? There needed to be a change because they were sinking... Without a trace, if he stayed on for the rest of the season, I'd have no doubt that Birmingham City will be in League One next season. There'd been a clear breakdown between players and managers. We've seen that with what's going on with Harley Dean. First off, in the press conference last week, I think it was, he was asked, do the players still believe in the manager? He gave a very long pause before answering. Um <laughs> Well, at least given an answer, that meant he wouldn't get fined. And then in the match yesterday against Reading, last night, he started shrugging after scoring the winner, which is in reference to Ita Karenka after I think he shrugged about 30 times in his most recent press conference. So, yeah, I don't think he was particularly the most popular manager amongst uh, the squad. Uh, but the question is, should he have been gone sooner?
0: <laughs> I think I said at the weekend he probably should have gone after the Birmingham City Derby game at St Andrews where they were beating 4-0 at home because again that day they looked awful and things haven't really got better they've won a couple of games since then but they haven't got better you've got to, you've got to look at how teams respond to those games throughout weeks and at no point have they improved they've not kept a run of clean sheets they've not consistently created chances and that's why they're down there that's been the main problem this season and I absolutely should have gone sooner. The Harley Dean situation I just think just tells you exactly where the club are at in terms of players. There needs to be a clear out this summer because that is not that is not good.
1: It's <laughs> it's a bit unprofessional, isn't it? It's got a little sad. bit. A little but bit. But I, I completely agree with you on the Derby point. Because since then, they've only won three games in four months, Mm -hmm. which says a lot about how poor they've been. But let's uh, focus on the now Justin Lee Bowyer is the new man in charge, someone who we, of course, know very well when he was in charge at Charlton last season. I'll start off by saying this, Justin. I'm not particularly sure why he didn't go to Birmingham in the summer, because I Mm. think... For all parties involved, it would have been better off if that happens because Charlton haven't had a great season in League One. It's not been a bad one, but it looks like they'll miss out on the playoffs now. So for Bowyer, Charlton and Birmingham, it seems to have made sense last summer. But either way, I think it's a good appointment. Do you? I do.
0: Um, I, I do like Bowyer. Um, I think there are obviously some, uh, not, not deficiencies, but there are some things he needs to work on. We saw with his Charlton team They went on a winless run for a long period of time Which is why they dropped down the division um, And I think tactically I mean actually he showed tactically last night Against Reading how flexible he is Because normally he plays without wingers He'll either play a narrow diamond or a three at the back Whereas last night he went four four two And he got the very best out of the players that were on the pitch And available to him so I think I think it is a good appointment He's certainly one that is He knows how to get the best out of individuals And get them working hard Because his Charlton team, they ran hard He knew they were not as good technically So they had to work twice as hard as the opposition and, and they did that And they were fairly unlucky to go down So I think it is a good appointment
1: Yeah, I still think he's one of the best young English managers in the country He's constantly been dealt Tough hands at Charlton And every time he's faced them head on Fair enough, he didn't manage to overcome the odds in every situation, such as last season when Lyle Taylor decided that he didn't fancy the last few months mm-hmm. of the season with Charlton and they ended up going down. But he's got, he's got a good record with young players as well. And I think that's yeah. key for a club like Birmingham, who have always had a good record of producing young youngsters. Uh, the big question is, can he keep Birmingham City up? <laughs> it's,
0: I think, I think so. I think Rotherham are too... There's just too many games in hand for Rotherham. But considering considering Birmingham City's run over the next couple of uh, weeks, over the next month, there's still an air of concern, I think, about them.
1: Yeah, it's a massive task, isn't it? You look at the table now, and I think we can both agree that at this very moment, it looks like it's between Birmingham and Rotherham. Then Coventry are next in line. Then Derby, and then you've got the rest of the pack, who will only get dragged in if they go on an an atrocious run of form between now and the end of the season. I'm saying this all with the assumption that Wednesday won't turn around their form as well. The big concern for me is scoring goals. Obviously, they got two last night. But if that improves, then I think Birmingham will get more results. And results is what's been missing for them recently. Over the last month or so, they've actually not been too bad but I think if he gets them to step up a gear, then the results will follow. It also depends on what Rotherham do with these remaining games, because obviously that's just throwing everything into chaos, really, when you've got a team who's six points behind, but they've still got four games in hand. I don't think he should be judged if Birmingham do go down this season as well. I know this. What nine games of the season left, but I think it's an incredibly tough place the club finds itself in at the moment, and I think it's a big ask for anyone to instantly come in and turn it around when there's so few many games left of the season, even though he did manage to get a good result last night. If the worst does happen and Birmingham are relegated, then I think he's a very good manager to have in League One. Would you agree?
0: Definitely, he's got a good track record down in League One, obviously, trying Trotter... to. They, they might miss out on the playoffs, they've still got an opportunity to get in the playoffs this season, but obviously they won the playoffs a couple of seasons ago as well, so yeah, he's, he knows the division quite well, but I think he's going to be one to be planning in the Championship, so let's not rule that out.
1: Well, let's talk about his first game in charge, Birmingham 2, Reading 1, a massive result at both ends of the table, Justin. Absolutely,
0: absolutely, it was, um, it was quite a tight game as well actually, and I thought Reading weren't near Birmingham City in terms of effort levels and I think that's what won Birmingham City the game
1: Yeah, but they kept it solid at the back against one of the most <coughs> clinical sides in the division and that's a brilliant thing for a new manager to say considering <laughs> Birmingham have been a bit shaky at the back this season uh, We've spent too much time talking about Birmingham in this episode so far just, and it's a big win, isn't it? But as we say, there's still... Um, it, it, it does depend really on how Rotherham do with those games in hand at this very moment in time. But a massive win, massive praise for Lee Bowyer and what he's done in his first game in charge. Let's talk about what it means for Reading. Because with Bournemouth winning as well, this is a worrying result.
0: It is. And if we consider Birmingham City's home form this season and Reading's away form, it, we're at Reading have won 28 points away so on the road this season, which is the fifth highest in the league. You know, you expect a little bit better in the circumstances they find themselves in, um, which is obviously Bournemouth winning and Barnsley getting a result as well. I think, as, as I mentioned, Birmingham City had just had a bit more desire, and when you're going away on a Wednesday night, it's you've got a uh, in the midst of a very busy fixture run. You've got to just at least have the effort levels. If the quality isn't there, and it just didn't look like it was there last night, and I think that's why. They were pipped to the result. It just wasn't good enough.
1: Reading also have some tough games coming up. They've got QPR this weekend, who are kind of in form. <laughs> they, they, they were in good form, and then they've had a couple of dodgy results here, but they managed to pick up a brilliant win against Millwall, which we'll go on a bit later. And then they've got Barnsley, and then they've got Derby, who are fighting for their lives, and then Watford after that, and then Cardiff. So, <laughs> tough games coming up. And At this moment in time, they're only two points ahead of Bournemouth, They can't afford any slip-ups, can they? Because even if Bournemouth um, don't manage to make up ground, then you've still got the likes of Middlesbrough and Cardiff who are still not giving up hope on the playoffs just yet. So it's a tough, tough time for Velko Panovic and he's got to hope that his side bounce back against QPR at the weekend. Let's move on to two games with massive repercussions at both ends of the table, Justin. We shall begin with Derby against Brentford. The Bees turn up at half-time, seemingly cruising, but Wayne Rooney's boys pulled it back and eventually drew to all thanks to a beautiful strike by Louis Sibley. More on him in a sec, Justin. But for Brentford, how damaging is that second half to their promotion chances?
0: I think... Maybe not the result, although dropping points isn't ideal, given that Watford won. But I think the drop in performances was the thing that concerned me a lot. They, Derby, Derby were absent in the first half. Make no mistake, and I think that made it made probably Brentford look. I mean, Brentford were very good in the first half, but it made them look very, very, very good. Um, and Derby's effort level stepped up. They closed down. They they were a bit more intense with their uh, forward play, and Brentford didn't really adapt. They were still trying to play the same game. Derby were targeting um, Sorensen down the left quite often, as we saw. Um, the, the, the first goal came from that that uh, situation, and again, they didn't adapt. It was just a drop-off in the second half that concerned me a lot. Um, Tony was isolated as well, so there's a lot of issues there, and I think Frank said they Derby only had two shots on target. I know I'm a Derby fan, I'm not going to be biased, but they actually had more opportunities. They had more shots in the second half than Brentford had in the whole game, so it tells you exactly the two differences in the halves for, for Brentford
1: yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, at half time Brentford had seven shots to Derby's one in the second half Derby had ten, while Brentford had three <laughs> the dictionary definition of a game of two halves, but <laughs> Brentford just fell to pieces and I don't want to have this conversation again just yet, Justin about Brentford's bottle and um, I think that's something we'll have to talk about at a later date but it it does raise questions once again of their mentality when it does come towards the business end of the season but there's still a long way to go. They have of course got a game in hand on Watford and the five points behind so could be two points behind when everyone's even again. I think it's definitely left a blow on their promotion chances, not anything they could overcome but... I think at the moment it is between Watford and Swansea for that second place, and then Brentford are just a little bit behind in that race, so I do look at how things are now for Brentford, and I wonder if they've if they have got to start thinking about winning every game for the rest of the season if they do want to go up automatically.
0: We know Brentford or who could do that though we know they can pull a run out their arse and just and just go for it so i, I wouldn't I'd, I certainly wouldn't rule them out. Of the Automatics just yet because again, as I said, they're side that once they get going on a run of form, they're very difficult to stop.
1: Let's talk about Derby. How valuable a point is this for their hopes of staying up?
0: In the grand scheme of things, very valuable. Very valuable. You look at Birmingham City picking up points on a Rotherham lost Wednesday. Looked like they were going to win but just to get a point to to creep out. But it wasn't just the point for me, it was the reaction at half-time. I think Rooney got his selection wrong again which is why he made free changes at half-time. That sort of thing is 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 pretty frustrating. But when you come back from two 0 down, scoring the way Derby did in the in the second half, you can't be you can't not be happy.
1: No, and this is a tough tough game. Derby are in the midst of a tough tough run, but while you're in this kind of run, you've got to try and fight for every point that you can get. And this is a superb point. Let's talk Louis Sibley because <laughs> he got the equaliser. Uh, still a young lad, but I, he's had a very disappointing season, hasn't he? I know that's harsh when he's only 19 but I think everyone was expecting him to build upon last season where he made his debut scored a few goals as well including a hat-trick against Millwall this is a chance for him to get a run in the team after what has been a very tough few months for him It
0: has and I think this is this is the issue of young football is I mean we all get carried away Lou is probably the, the victim of his own success of last season he was very good for five or six games, but in some other games, you know, as supporters and spectators, we should have probably seen that there are a couple of games where he went missing. You know, the proverbial missing for a, for a number ten, and that happens. It's going to happen for a young player as well. He's only nineteen. You know, if we readjust just our expectations and go, okay, he's just he's still literally just a kid finding his feet. Um and that's what it, I think that's what this season's been like. This season's probably been the biggest learning curve he's gonna have in his career. Um but what he did last sorry, what he did against Brentford the other night it, it shows exactly what he's capable of because he was brilliant in the second half. Not just the goal but the running, the pressing, the committing defenders. It was simply, it was a Sibley that we know we can get. That doesn't make any sense. It was a Sibley you know, it was it was classic Lou Sibley
1: classic louis sibley yeah classic for a 19 year old um <laughs> it, he's yeah I, I i can see where you're coming from i, I think rooney has got a job in his hands trying to help him mature into someone who is going to be a very good player obviously he's got the talent from what i'm told he's a very confident young man <laughs> shall we say um but Rooney, I mean, Rooney's, I, I suppose, in a similar mould to Sibley or Sibley's in a similar mould to Rooney and the fact that they're both tenacious, hardworking players, both very talented and have come into football at this very young and raw age. So I suppose Rooney is the perfect kind of role model for him. It's just whether Rooney can um, kind of get him to mature and become this player that lives up to his potential. But... It's a, it's a big old job and hopefully this goal sets him on the right track let's move on Watford are now in the driving seat for second place after winning 4-1 away at Rotherham and Justin this was Watford at their best wasn't it? It really
0: was and again no disrespect to Watford but their away performances are just nowhere near their the home ones and this felt like one of the games that the, the, the way they dominated the game it felt like it was it was a home game for them and I think that's as big a compliment as I can, as I can pay them because, I, I, again, winning it a away game like this I think could be a turning point for Watford because, as I say, they don't play with the same swagger they do away from home as they do at home. So this, it's a massive performance and a massive win.
1: It is a massive win. It's not something we've seen too often where they've had games like this where it's been this one-sided. But I think Isco Munoz has found his best team and I think that's the most important thing he's been chopping and changing his starting 11 vladimir Rich was doing the same earlier in the season but now it seems to be clicking and we've spoken about the front three plenty of times this season they've all come into form at the right time philip zinkenagel in the middle of the oh. park looks like a fantastic signing he's impressed we- me loads since coming into the team and then nathaniel Chalaber is suddenly playing the best football we've seen from him in years and look not long ago I wasn't sold on Watford going up because I thought Brentford and Swansea were better placed to finish in the top two. But Iskabunas has seemingly found the system which gets the best out of the players and fair play to him. I mean, as long as it continues, sorry, Justin, as long as it continues, then I'll happily be eating my words. They have probably got the toughest running out of all the promotion chasing sides. So it's still very much all to play for. But Watford are the form team out of Brentford and Swansea, aren't they?
0: They are. They, looking at the last six games, they've won five in the last six. They've scored 12 in that time. And as we said, Isco Munez has, has found great balance with his, with his Watford side. And then just going on to and Nagel, he was brought in as a winger. He was a winger. Mm. And he's just been started in at central midfield. And he looks a top signing. His, his assist record in 2020 for FK Bodo in Norway, I don't know how to pronounce it, that might be. I might have butchered it. Probably have. Sorry oh, p- to
1: our Norwegian listeners. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but he picked up eighteen assists in twenty twenty, which tells you exactly. You know, he's the Danish Fabregas. Let's be honest, um, and he's picked up another <laughs> two. He's picked up another two against Rotherham, um, and yeah, as I said, it, the way he's slotting in a central midfield, it, the, the balance he provides to it is is fantastic.
1: Is Bodo a Norwegian team or is it Danish now I can't actually remember I don't know I, it's Scandinavian Scandinavian <laughs> we'll, we'll play it safe um, this was Rotherham's first game in two weeks after the Covid outbreak which has caused chaos in their fixture schedule um, Freddie Ladapo's goal wonderful absolutely fantastic goal. every time there's a very one-sided game when the other team pulls a goal back it always seems to be a screamer do you ever find that
0: it is. It's a goal that doesn't deserve to be on the losing team. You almost want to give him a Watford shirt and say, "Look, you can have that one." Five 0 um, do, th- do
1: you think it's because the team has just kind of said, "Oh, may as well," because we're not going to win this now, and they just start punting it from everywhere, and then one just flies into the corner every so often.
0: Well, he, he did it against Sheffield Wednesday, didn't he? So he's got this in his locker. Yeah. Um, he obviously, th- I mean, thought then the clock was running down against Wednesday. Thought then and, and and against Watford, just fuck it, I'll
1: I'll let it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, go back to the game Rotherham had some good chances didn't they defensively they were just a bit of a shambles
0: it, it you can tell they've not played for a, a couple of weeks yeah uh, i I read of the EFL report there' 25 positive cases and whether that's players and staff etc you can't can't prepare you're coming to get up against Watford it's like I don't know it's like a, a cruise liner coming up alongside a little dinghy wasn't it, it <laughs> it's it was it was it was awful for them and again it's the worst possible game to come into. Um, Their defending was was laughable at times,
1: especially with the first two goals. May I say, Justin, your simile game recently has been <laughs> on point. You are really pulling them out of the bag. Uh, I, I, it's not something that's happened too often with Rotherham, is it, where they've been this bad defensively only three teams have conceded fewer goals from open play this season than Rotherham which I found a bit surprising because they are so far down the table and they've conceded quite a few goals compared <coughs> to the rest of the league it's just they concede so many from set pieces, own goals, penalties and what have you but in this game they parted like the Red Sea in the grand scheme of things this was always a bit of a free hit I think for Rotherham not many people have expected them to get a result and they've also got games in hand it's about making the most of the other games in hand that they've got. But time is running out six points from Birmingham now. But as I say, we have got they have got four games to play still. Swansea lost their first game in five after being thumped three nil by Bournemouth. And I feel like this is a result that's been coming for Swansea, Justin. Do you agree? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it has been coming. Um, they were they were really, really poor. And if we focus on defensively, they were, they were absolutely all over the place. Before this game, they had the best defensive record in the league. And actually, Steve Cooper focused in on their defensive display, which it was shocking. But I think going to the forward play, it was just as bad. They only created two decent chances. And that was at 2-0 down. They were both from Morgan Whitaker, And that really should be the focus for, for Steve Cooper. Because if they're, if they're not creating chances, they're not going to score goals. It's, it's an easy thing to say, but that's been an issue for a couple of weeks now. They've been getting ahead a in games and that's it. It almost feels like they sit back. There's there's not been an organic, sort of consistent creation of, of chances and I think that's starting to, t- to take its toll now.
1: Yeah, it, it is concerning because they are open at the back and poor going forwards. And they haven't been the best team in the division going forwards this season, but they've been particularly bad in the last... Couple of months, haven't they? And we were saying not too long ago they seem a bit over reliant on Andre Ayew. I still think that is the case. Jamal Lowe has been a passenger, (coughs) really, for a good couple of months now. Um, At the back, it's very concerning how they've gone from being this pretty much a brick wall to a brick wall. That's been there for 200 years. I'm not as good at similes as you, Justin, <laughs> but you, you get my point. They're, they're seemingly very open and in, their defensive standards have dropped massively in the past couple of months again. Something just seems to have happened at Swansea and everything seems to have dropped down in standard a bit. They seem to have dropped down again. And things need to get better quick, really, really quick, because if they don't, then I feel, I feel like this... Race for the top two could become quite clear-cut very mm. soon, Justin. Uh, but what a performance from Bournemouth! Dan Juma and Billing were absolutely superb. Philip Billing only seems to score worldies. I don't know why. It's 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 a bizarre thing, but I don't think I've ever seen him score a tapping.
0: Oh well, I think it was against Birmingham City a few weeks ago. He scored a tapping.
1: Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah. Maybe he just score tap-ins. But if you got a compilation of his best goals, then. His grandkids will think he was Pele. It's, it's sensational. Uh, but talk about Bournemouth as a whole, I haven't been too convinced with them under Jonathan Woodgate, but this was a very impressive performance. I mean, they've still got a lot of work to do to get in the playoffs, but Cherry fans will be hoping this is the start of good things to come.
0: It's, you know, it's quite easily their best performance under Woodgate and quite easily their best yep. performance. Since before Christmas. Um you yeah, know there's a lot of positives. I think tactically he got it spot on. Bournemouth exploited space in behind the wing backs really well, and as you said, Dan Juma was on fire, and his his license to essentially stay quite high up the pitches meant he got in he got in behind quite a few times and he obviously got the cross in for Billings Worldie. And uh, as you say, he was superb all evening, so was Slanky. He looked like he was really, really on it. Um so yeah, they 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 were it was, it was a very good attacking display and very controlled at the back, which is exactly what Bournemouth need, I think, going forward. And they, they keep themselves in the running because it's hard to rule them out of with the, with the playoff race with the quality they have on the side.
1: Yeah, they're not playing this weekend. They've got the FA Cup, so it gives them a chance to rest players, I suppose, before going into the international break and then... Coming out the other side of the international break, they could have a game in hand. but well, they will have a game in hand, but it'll be interesting to see how their playoff rivals do. Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about the relegation battle and the rest of the team still fighting for the playoffs. i tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe and that, of course, includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a Classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either. They've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the second tier podcast, Justin. Let's get back to the relegation battle. Wednesday and Huddersfield drew one all. I look at this result and I don't think it's necessarily a bad one for either side. Would you agree with that?
0: Yes, I don't think either team are necessarily happy with, really happy with the draw. But for Wednesday, it arrests a very bad runner form for them. You know, It stops the runner defeats and for Huddersfield... They showed a bit of character. They're unbeaten in four now. They came from a goal behind. Those positives to take for both teams. But I think a point, very obvious to say, three points would have been much better for for both sides. But a point a piece, you can't complain too much.
1: No, and as you were saying, Huddersfield are unbeaten in four now. They have slowly just managed to crawl away from the relegation battle, mainly because the teams below them are really struggling at the moment. And can't win for toffee, but <laughs> this result is another one that just slowly means they're crawling away, and they're starting to look quite safe now, aren't they? It would take a really poor run of form for them for the rest of the gate rest of the games of the season for them to get relegated. Now you'd have thought Wednesday, obviously with Rotherham losing, this does help them out a bit because I mean it's a point. What more can you say? A point's a point. <laughs> Um but as you say, seven losses in a row. They needed to get something on the board at some point and this goes some way to doing that. But you feel like if they want to have any chance of staying up, they have got to start winning games and time is running out for that to happen.
0: It is time time's ticking for, for Darren Moore on Wednesday essentially, and it's it's I think he will be disappointed more so because they were one nil up and the way they conceded the goal. I think Callum Patterson probably could have done a little bit better with his own goal. Like it was, was right on the line, but he didn't adjust his body very quickly, and it just hit him and it went in. Um so, yeah, I think again getting that second goal. Obviously, the collapse against Luton a, a few weeks ago, I said it would prove to be a turning point for Wednesday. It has, uh, you know, in, in a negative way. Um, so I think they're still sort of reading from it. And Darren Moore, is, they they have looked better going forwards. They have looked much better I think Jordan Rose's form has probably been his best form while he's been at Wednesday so there are positives for, for them um, it's, just, it's just whether or not they can crawl out of the, the bottom three in that time it's a big ask
1: it is a big ask and I think it, it would be classed as a miracle if they were to stay up at this point now yeah. but if they manage to get a couple of wins in the next three or four games then who knows but as we say time is running out Luton 2 Coventry 0 now listener. That scoreline might not sound too startling, but let me tell you, this was a very one-sided game. Wasn't that bad early on, but Coventry had Cal McVadden sent off after uh, 40 minutes. And from that point, the Luton players were pretty much lining up to score. I'm not (laughs) sure how they didn't score in the second half, quite honestly, but a very comfortable win for Luton. Just going back to the sending off, did you think it was a sending off?
0: At first glance, no. I thought it hit his sort of... You know the the DMZ zone of his between his shoulder and his chest. I th- I thought it was, I don't think it was handball. Essentially, I I, I was quite surprised. The ref was very adamant it was.
1: Yeah, for anyone who's not seen it, let us explain. Count McVaggson sent off for apparently stopping the ball on the line with his hand or arm, but I yeah I thought it hit his chest. Did you say DMZ line?
0: Yeah, the DMZ zone. You know What's the that? demilitarized so you know, where yeah. everything's bit. You don't know what's going on.
1: Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it hit the DMZ line as well. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about the performance from a whole, because I, I think this must have been very frustrating for Coventry fans. Because, in fact, they've been quite a frustrated team all season, really, haven't they? Because they put in a magnificent performance every so often, but then they follow it up with three or four games where they're not as good. And when you know that your team is capable of of doing that and they don't do it more often it must just drive you up the wall
0: I think that's the pitfall of a young side I, I, we spoke about naivety earlier on in the season it, there's going to be it's going to creep back into the into the team I think Matty James's introduction at, in the January transfer window was a was a massive signing and a massive plus for them and form has you know it's not been as good as it was just before christmas but it's improved um but for Coventry you talk about frustrating it could have been a very different game Biamu hit the post in mean, the first sort of 15 20 minutes um which i thought Coventry were were, were the better side in that time um i think Ostergaard hit the post from his own clearance as well his own post so <laughs> it it could have been a very it could have been a very different game um and again that that just leads to the Blends to the frustration that Coventry fans must feel with the team, but you can't you can't have a go at them because they play they play football attractively. They're going to make mistakes.
1: Yeah, they're looking over their shoulders a bit, aren't they? At the moment, as I we was saying earlier, you'd say it's between Birmingham and Rotherham to go down in the third last place, but Coventry are definitely next in line, aren't they? And It's, it's bloody tight down there. They're level on points with... Birmingham who are 21st at the moment but Coventry have got a game in hand so still very much all to play for in the relegation battle Justin let's head to the top of the table Norwich won for the ninth game in a row after beating Forest 2-0 we're getting used to saying this at the moment Justin a comfortable <laughs> win for Norwich
0: yeah, talk about comfortable it was it was so comfortable they had double the amount of well almost double the amount of passes that, that the Forest completed 717 passes in the game uh, the, the ball retention and the movements just ridiculous because we see some teams who are possession based. Like, I mean, Derby for example, they they keep they like to keep the ball. I mean, they're not as good as Norwich as, as we well know. So it's it's the, the scoring goals and keeping the ball. It's just they're so good to watch. And I sent you a message which you didn't respond to, by the way. I think Timu. I Pukes never do. The, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just a long line of desperate messages saying, Ryan, please give me attention. Um, <laughs> I think Timon Puki is the best. I don't think he's the best striker in the league, but I think he's without doubt the best finisher in the league because everything is done on instinct. He scores goals from all angles. He doesn't score many tap-ins and he's showing exactly what he's capable of. And again, another message I sent to you. I think he could well catch up with Ivan Tony in terms of goals.
1: I tell you what, I wouldn't rule it out. I really wouldn't because the way Pukki's going at the moment, he is playing so damn well. He is... Every time he gets a certain on goal, it just seems to end up in the back of the net. It's unbelievable. Um, but the fact that we've got a conversation here where we've got two strikers who are, well, I'm guessing Tony's going to get 30 goals this season at least, isn't he? The fact we're mm-hmm. having this conversation where we could have two strikers in the championship this season getting 30 goals is just remarkable. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that does happen. Um, most impressive thing from about this from the Norwich perspective, is they managed to do this without Emmy Brendia, which has yeah. been a massive concern for us all season. Something we've spoken about loads, how they are often quite reliant on Emmy Brendia, but here they managed to show that they can win games without him, uh, which is not something they've been able to say very often when he hasn't been in the side. I think the most eye-catching thing about Norwich for me in this nine-game winning streak, Justin, is how good they've been defensively now. Earlier in the season, when I had my doubts about Norwich, that was mainly down to their defensive frailties. Um, and in this nine-game unbeaten run, they've only conceded three goals in that time. And I think that's been the difference. In fact, since the turn of the year, really, they've been so much better defensively. Hanley and Gibson at the back have been superb. Uh, Genulis. I think is how you say his name, the left back. He's been a fantastic signing. Um, and left back had been a bit of an issue for Norwich after, um, Quintia was injured. The normal mm-hmm. left back early in the season, and he's not been seen since. So, you coming in has been fantastic as well. And Oliver skip in the middle of the park as well has been breaking down attacks for fun. It's the whole side as a whole looks much more efficient than he was earlier in the season. Um, I suppose there's a wider conversation about whether this Norwich side is better than the one from a couple of seasons ago, but that's something for a later date, Justin. Let's talk Forest, because I don't think many people are expecting them to get a result here. Still very much in danger of going down, though, aren't they? I think
0: they are. They are. It, it, it would take a, a terrible swing in fortunes for them to drop into the bottom three, but all of the issues Chris Hewton has has they've been very evident over the last three or four games for them just a the lack of creativity at times the lack of taking the chances when they needed to you know Lewis Graben looks a shell of the player he was last season the form he showed last season at times was, was really really good in front of goal he had a one on one in this game didn't take it it tells you where Forest are they're a team of journeymen loans and young players they're a bit in between at the moment We we know how Poor recruitment has been. Um, so I think Chris hutton has got a probably one of his biggest jobs, actually, in turning this Forest team around. Um, we know there's potential there because they're unbeaten run, but as this game showed and the last few games have shown, there's issues that need resolving this summer and it's going to take a lot to, to sort them out.
1: Quite a few players there who I think you could say they're kind of a shell of the player that they were not too long ago without a win in five now as well. So they're, they're kind of in a zone now where if they are to go down, they'd have to go on a terrible run of form. But things aren't great at the moment, are they? Barnsley, they won again, this time beating Wickham 3-1. They're now unbeaten in 10, and they've only dropped points once in that time. Um, we'll talk about the first bit of bad news they've had in a long time, though. <laughs> time though. Alex Mohr being sent off for a two-footed lunge. Did you think that was a red card?
0: First, Literally first glance, because I was watching it live, first glance I thought it was a red um, and obviously the referee has has only got one guy and said it. You know, two or three replays later, I'm thinking perhaps it wasn't as bad. It's I hate I hate the term, but an orange card. I think Andy Andy Hinchcliffe absolutely loves it, the commentator. But it it was it was one of those in between and on reflection. But as as we say, the referee's got one decision to make, uh, one one way of seeing it, one view of it, uh, and he gave a red card. I can't argue with it.
1: I can't argue with it either. I think when you come off your feet and do a mini drop kick as he did then I think it's always, he's always <laughs> going to be a red card um,
0: it was a mini drop kick yeah it's yeah. a good way of describing it
1: thank you it was quite <laughs> a bad tempered game actually there was a lot of pushing and shoving right at the end as well after two Barnsley players were kicked it was a ooh, all a bit feisty but either way Barnsley have come out the winners again and they're looking like they're nailed on for a playoff spot at this very moment don't they
0: Again, it's similar to Forest. It will take a big turn of results, I think, and a big swing of things to for to see them drop out. They they've been re- just the consistencies. It's almost sickening, you know. It's two games on the trot as well, where away from home they've scored three goals. It's ridiculous. And the, I mean, Daryl Dike, for example, and Carlton Morris. The, the, they've scored ten between in the season. And the business of bringing them in is, is, I think, it's gone under the radar a bit because they've. I mean, we spoke earlier on in the season about Barnsley and Egan, the extra striker, they got two in and they've they've gone up again. Obviously, the style of play is is amazing to watch as well. Um, There's just too much to like about this Barnsley team. It's almost a second fan.
1: Yeah, it's not even the consistency in these last 10 games. It's been ever since Ishmael's come in. Mm. Ever since he's come in, he's just changed everything and it all just seems to have... Well, clicked. but well, clicked in a very dramatic way. I don't think anyone ever expected them to do as well as they have. But the fact that we're now sat here saying Barnsley look nailed on for a playoff spot could potentially go a step further after, what was it, seven games this season when they hadn't won a game. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing. Middlesbrough, they're not losing hope of finishing in the top six. They beat Preston 2-0. A very comfortable win for the old Warnock's boys.
0: It was, not obviously I think the, the own goal was one of the worst own goals I've seen. Oh, it was um, so funny,
1: Justin. It was so funny. <laughs> the, the, the best bit about it was, obviously, if anyone has not seen it, it's one of them where the defender's tried to clear it. It's sliced off his foot and gone into the back of the net. But it's made even more funny when there is no one around that defender. Mm-hmm. So he's got time to even control it, but instead he's just managed to beat his own goalkeeper. It was spectacular. Carry on.
0: But they've got all the luck in the world at the moment, Borough have. Especially, well, I'm saying all, all the luck in the world. In the last two games, they have been. Um, they've got players stepping up as well. We saw Balassi. I mean, the cross on Balassi for their own goal was terrible. We, we should have. I mean, Jordan's story had time to control it. <laughs> um, so, uh, obviously, we've seen Tavernier get back on the score sheet and he's had his injury problems. Uh, Niskin's Cabano did really well. He he's, looks like he's growing into his role at Borough. Know, he had the highest pass accuracy, completed the most key passes. Peter the most dribbles yeah he was certainly on form going forwards and as, as we've said things are clicking it's two clean sheets in a row it's five goals in two games playoffs aren't out of the question just yet so to keep this form going I don't see why they can't take it down to the last couple of games
1: no not at all they have got a tricky game after the international break against Bournemouth which is the proverbial (laughs) six-pointer. But they've got Millwall this weekend, and considering Millwall aren't in the greatest of form, they'll be hoping to get three points there. From a Preston perspective, this was a bit of a disaster, really, wasn't it? Alex Neal was sent off at half-time, but instead of going into the stands, he went into the stand but was only about four or five rows back, (laughs) so it didn't really make much of a difference. Preston also had Alan Brown sent off after he kicked Sam Morsey for some reason. This performance only cranks up the pressure on Alex Neil because they didn't seem to ever really be in the game, albeit they were down to 10 men for the best part of an hour. They're in a bit of a rut at the moment, aren't they?
0: They are, and I think the worst thing about it is the defending. I, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, that they were conceding a lot of goals from balls dropping in between centre-halves and, and goalkeepers, which is pub league stuff. The own goal, scoring its Borough, was pub league stuff. I think you'd struggle to see that on a pub league pitch actually. Um, it's <laughs> It's become, I wouldn't say a bit of a farce, but the drop in form has been catastrophic. And you mentioned the other week about Alex Neil potentially losing his job. I think, I think we could be closer to that than we than we probably think. To be honest,
1: well, the, the thing is, Preston—they're not necessarily a sacking club, are they? They're very patient, probably one of the most patient clubs in the division. Sometimes it might go against them how patient they are. Um, things aren't looking very good under Alex Neil at the moment. The performances have not been there at all. They've had some really sloppy results and things don't look like they're getting any better. Of course, they're not in any danger of going down this season. But you've got to keep in mind that how you do towards the end of the season is usually how you start off next season as well. The form usually does carry on into those games. So unless things improve, then... Maybe it's time for a change in the summer. Who knows? Cardiff nil, Stoke nil. Both sides having chances in this game, but neither being able to find the net. But Cardiff could have really done with a win for their hopes of finishing in the top six after Reading loss, couldn't they?
0: Yeah, perhaps we're seeing their form level out You know, from their initial new manager bounce. Um, I think it just gives Mick McCarthy a lot to build on. I think the possession stats for me don't impress me. I know it's not all about possession, but you know, if they don't have the ball... They're not gonna, they're not gonna win games, and obviously they allowed Stoke to have more of the ball in this in this game. I'd like to see them. I wouldn't say press a lot more. Uh, it's probably a, quite an ignorant comment, but to play on the front foot in a similar vein as to what Barnsley might might do, I think there's there's a lot. that this the, essentially, they, I think this Cardiff team they can progress into that, but I think this season's just probably a bit too soon for them. And as I said, we're starting to see the form level out a little
1: bit. They are six points off top six, so it's still not out the question yet. But it does seem like as if it's fizzling out a bit. The old playoff push, isn't it? They've obviously got the South Wales derby coming up this weekend, which is a massive game for both sides. Um, do you feel like if Cardiff lose that, then their playoff hopes are just about over?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, obviously, if results go against them as well, I think it. I think it could be because we're talking about a lot of ground to be made up. I think if the form wasn't so bad under Neil Harris, they, they'd. Definitely be in the playoffs because of what Mick McCarthy's done is is incredible. But you know they've they've scored one goal in the last three games. They've drawn two blanks in that time. It's probably a good time to play Swansea because of how defensively frail they are. But again, it comes down to possession, how and how Cardiff do out of possession, and how efficient they are in front of goal.
1: Yeah, spot on. QPR. Came from two goals down to beat Millwall 3-2. A crazy game, this. Uh, fantastic to watch as a neutral, though. It's the perfect advert for the Championship, especially when it's two sides you haven't really got much to play for. Um, good win for QPR, though. They're in a decent bit of form, aren't they? Three wins in four?
0: The, yeah, it's, it's a very good win. And obviously being 2-0 down as well, it's, it's, it's a brilliant turnaround. And it's probably exactly you know something that's needed for them, showing that they've got a little bit of character in the you know they're not on holiday yet because obviously they're going to finish mid-table. Um, and the challenge—the challenge for them this season for me is to, to break into that top half. Because on the balance of this performance, I think I think they can. They just need to turn those you know defeats into draws. It's, it's an easy thing to say, but you know they've won three of the last six. A couple of defeats in that time just shows that there is a little bit of in- inconsistency from them. But they're a good side, and as I say, top half should be their target this season. Because if they can, that'll be a massive achievement. That'll be huge.
1: Well, they could finish top ten. Top ten would be a very realistic achievement at the moment. They're only well, in fact, they're level on points with Millwall, who are tenth at the moment. So, if they manage to finish best of the rest out of the teams who are mid-table at the moment, that'd be a fantastic achievement for Mark Warburton. Definitely something to build on for next season. Millwall, this—they're in a bit of a very inconsistent run of form at the moment. (laughs) They've lost one, lost one, lost. So. Not ideal this. Jed Wallace got only his second goal of the year. He's had quite a disappointing season actually, hasn't he, Wallace?
0: Yes and no. I think I think he's been as poor as Millwall have been at times this season. Um they've had to because of the, again the runner form they were on earlier on in the earlier on in the season, they had to drop everything, you know, they had to get really basic and they started to level out and they've started to improve again. I think we've seen Wallace improve with the side Um, so I don't think he's had a disappointing season. Again, just think he's not had as good a season as he had last season
1: i count that as disappointing, personally, but we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, final game of the midweek was Blackburn nil, Bristol City nil. The most mid-table game possible in the Championship at the moment, and it was by no means that exciting. I've got nothing to say on this game, just interview. I
0: think there was a chance that Jésus had from 30 yards out where he let the ball drop two or three times before he hit the volley. If that's me, I'm punting that straight away. It should have, rather than just letting it bounce twice first bounce, bang I wouldn't have scored but <laughs> I'd have been very happy with myself
1: You've got to praise the optimism Sometimes you just got to go for it, boys. Just put your foot through it. (laughs) Exactly. Right, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I think that's just about it for us, Justin. So we'll wrap up this episode and we shall look forward to seeing you again on Sunday when we'll go through all the games from the weekend in the Championship. Talk about some of the news as well from the past week. And boy, has there already been some news from this past (laughs) week, which I'm looking forward to having a chat about with you on Sunday, Justin. Uh, Got any plans before then? I always ask this. I love hearing about your plans because it's not very exciting, but it's interesting.
0: I have I have a day off work tomorrow. Believe it or not, I don't do podcasting full time. I have a I have a day job. Um, so before everyone starts saying get back to your day job, I am I do get back to my day job. Thank you. Um, yeah, got got a day off work. Got a, got a three day weekend. I'm buzzing about it. Going to do the same dog walk I do every day.
1: Exciting! Making the most of that day off. Then exactly. I've also, I've also got a day off tomorrow. Do you want to hang out?
0: Uh, absolutely not
1: okay then there we go this has been the second tier podcast (laughs) we'll be back again on Sunday I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach thank you for listening